Hello and welcome to the first of three special summer episodes of the KMB podcast. We're all on holiday at the moment, but in these three episodes, we're going to kind of recap the best interviews from uh, the second series of the Nissan Mother Brown. Yeah, we're doing podcast. this live from. Uh, the, we're all on holiday in the Maldives right now. <laughs> That's happening right now. Joining us to, to recap these uh, the the four interviews in this first episode of the three summer specials, we've got James Longman, who's a regular. Hello and Aloha. That's and, Hawaiian. I'm not there. And uh, the owner of KMB uh, where are you, would you be on holiday to right now probably Butlins out? in Bogner right there I'm guessing yeah <laughs> it's Classic. lovely it's pissing yeah. down with rain <laughs> I'm Skyping in from uh, the Maldives and Chris is uh, centre, you're in Centre Park oh Centre Park's very yeah. nice on a the bike ship ride one as well yeah the ship <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one the ship one is uh, yeah um, so on this episode on the first episode of the three uh, the trilogy the summer special trilogy we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to replay Alan Devonshire's interview John Hartz's interview and Dean Ashton's interview oh sorry and Irvin Welch's that's the one we're going to finish on so first up Alan Devonshire's interview Graham any any recollections about this interview yeah I mean I, I love Devo he was he was um, one of the players when I was growing up um, that I sort of looked up to so it was great to hear him talk about the old days um, and obviously good to hear him doing well at Braintree still which, yeah. which he talked about a bit but um yeah, no, you've got me there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good desperately trying to We're not going to re-listen to any of these interviews where we, we, we link to them. So it's based on our We're memories totally. at this moment right okay. now. But um, I remember the Devonshire one quite good. And I think he says some interesting things about, you know, how he, how the, what he was doing the week before he started playing for West Ham, which was a truck driver. So anyway, without further introduction, here we go. We're going to drop in the Alan Devonshire interview right now. So joining us on the show now, we have a maverick mid midfielder and an ever-present in the side from 76 through to 1990. He was in the starting 11 in the FA Cup final against Arsenal in 1980. He's a member of the legendary side of 86 and now manager of Braintree Town. Big welcome to the show, Alan Devonshire. How are you doing? Excellent. Great to have you on. We were just talking here because um, we were discuss we asked a few West Ham fans if they had any questions for you and, and someone mentioned that they weren't sure whether your nickname was Devo or Devo. I'm not sure on that one really to be fair lots of things call me Devo, Devo and Dev so I don't mind there's a few of the players a few others as well so <laughs> um, we were just um, we were just talking about your we were saying you've scored so many great goals and we were talking about that one you scored against uh, Chelsea in 86 uh, when we won 4-0 what's up what do you what would you say was your best goal best goal um, I scored one at Wrexham where Parks just threw the ball out for me on the edge of the box and I went and length for the pitch and no one else touching it went around the keeper at the other end um, but I don't think it was ever tele televised um, but that's probably the best goal but the one last part that would stick with me would always be the semi-final goal at Ellen Road oh of course yeah um, you know the goal there so it's such a you know big game and that so uh, that's probably the one the Chelsea one was was okay it was more of a fluke I think <laughs> so, no <laughs> Um, going back to that kind of 86 season we had a, a question in from a fan called Estuary he wanted to know at what point in, the, in that season did you think that, uh, that it might end really successfully was it clear that it was all coming together I think probably after the, the first seven or eight games uh, we knew we had a good balance about us and we had a strong side um, and we kind of gelled you know straight from the off we had a bad start in the first seven games it weren't great but then after that we knew that we were a strong side Hmm. And most of the teams we played, you know, I said we were the best side in the league and we should have won it really. We should have won it and it's probably the first seven games. I think we only won one out of the first seven of that season. Um, that's probably the cost of the league. Hmm. 
Is there one match you in particular you look back at and think, oh, we could have won that match and it, the points would have been made up? I think you can look at a lot of matches and, yeah. and say that, you know, but, you know, you don't look at the ones maybe where you nick nick to victory sometimes, you know. We just thought we were a very strong side and uh, it was going, you know, we were going to places like Man U, like knowing we were going to win the game. It was, it was right. a great feeling, mm. you know, that we had such a, a strong team, you know. How gutting is it to look back and think how close we were? Yeah, because it's, you know, it's probably not going to happen in our lifetime West Ham winning a league unless they get some <laughs> Russian billionaire coming in the Olympic Stadium and, and, and spending loads of money, I suppose. So, um, yeah, it's gutted because, you know, uh, you know to think people look at us and, and go, you know, what a great team it was and look, we only finished third. Mm, yeah. you know, it'd be nice to say, yeah, what a great team it was finishing first, you know. Yeah, mm. we had a question from Arhul who wanted to know who you thought was the better side, the '81 side or the '86 side. Um, it's hard to really to you know to compare the sides. Um, there's different strengths around. I, I suppose in the league, I suppose you've got to go the '85, '86 side, mm. um, just because of the balance we had, and it, we had quite a settled side all, all the time. But the 81 side was a really good top side as well, you know, there's some great players in that. So mm. I'm just privileged to be, you know, to be around in both, you know. Who was the best you know? player you played with? Best player I played with? Um, I suppose I've got to really say Trevor and, and Bonzo. I have to say the two mm. of them because they're totally different. But um, Trevor, we just had an understanding. It's not something that we worked on. It just, just happened maybe the same wavelength, you know, brain-wise when you're playing. But... Uh, you know, you know, to know that what the player was going to do, which Trevor, you knew what he was going to do, he wasn't the quickest. But people couldn't stop him from doing it. So that shows you what a great player he was. And Bonzo, just for his actual 110% every game he played, every training session, he was just fantastic to be around. It was like, it was, when I first got in the side, it was like having a dad look after me, you know. Bonzo used to, someone kick me, Bonzo would be straight over there and like protecting me, which is, which is fantastic, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> and I guess um, the '86 season started with uh, Sir Trevor Brooking retiring, and then you had Billy Bonds was out for the whole season. So it wasn't. It mustn't have been the best start. Were you were you worried before the season started? Well, I was actually out eighteen months <clears throat> before <throat> that. Um, I got injured uh, January '84 when I smashed all my knee ligaments. Um, I snapped both cruciate yeah. and um, medial. I had a reconstruction and that was my first season back the 85-86 right. season and being out near enough 18 months so um, and I know Trevor packed up because of my injury as well you know um, so you know for me to come back and play I think I, played, I only missed about three games that season with my bad knee I was quite delighted with that you know mm, absolutely we had um, one question in from Sean Jackson I know we're in Movember at the moment he wanted to know why you got rid of that famous tash of yours <laughs> it's called it's called growing it's growing growing old gracefully really it's like to go really grey it started just the end of the day my daughter, my daughter um, when I shaved it off my daughter didn't come near me for a week so it's, it's quite strange but uh, it's just because it's going grey, really, and that. Really. <laughs> we thought we thought you might bring it back from November. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're saying that sometimes. Uh, I remember my, my, there was a fancy dress party and uh, at Hampton when I was there, there, and a lot of the lads and my daughter actually dressed up as me, <laughs> <laughs> which was quite funny. 
we, we were thinking about other. I might, fam- I might have to get the wig out one day. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were thinking about other famous tashes actually, and John Walk had one to rival yours. I thought. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's a few. There's a few uh, John Walk was mm. uh, lad, but it actually it's it actually when I was injured um, and I was out for about a year. And, um, now we have Tempest Actually, what I got it from, I actually wasn't like teasing or nothing like that. I saw him playing that and I thought, my hair was growing long anyway, and I just thought, I'll, I'll have a little perm. And we pack and all that. Looks a bit like a musketeer, so yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, when you look when you look at the pictures throughout your career, you stuck with that look uh, through thick and thin, really. You had a good 10 years so, of that. We had a one question from Gaza Lols. He wanted to know there's this myth that um, you were a forklift truck driver when John Lyle signed you. Is that true or is that a myth? I used to drive a little truck, yeah. It wasn't a, a forklift, but it was called a forklift then, but it was quite a small one. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I did. I did at Hoover's. I've actually done that for a year before actually signed professional to West Ham, yeah. yeah. I was doing that as a job, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, that is true. <laughs> so that must have been a bit of a shock going from driving that around to playing at Upton Park. and. Well, it all happened so quick. It was, um, you know, three weeks, really, after I'd signed for West Ham. I was in the first team. Wow. Mm. Quite unheard of, really, because you know I, you know, I played a few games for reserves, and then uh, had a few injuries, and I got chucked in, which you can't all really come out of the blue, you know. So, mm. Yeah, it happens so quick. Yeah, and, and speaking, when you got in the team, um, Pink Paloma wants to know that did you ever feel embarrassed making good players look like pub players when you just flew past them so effortlessly? <laughs> it was just, uh, you know, people say to me in that, but. I found it easier. Mm. You know, when I was playing non-league and that, people used to kick you and the referees <laughs> weren't that great. And yeah. I'd sub marks down the back of my legs and <laughs> that. Then suddenly you're playing on, oh, well, I was say great pitches, but they were better pitches what I was used to playing on. Mm. And it just, just come natural. It, it wasn't something, that, you know, I could really say why I'd done it and or how I'd done it. It just come natural. So I wanted to drift past people and dribble past people. That was my game. Mm. Alan, it's Chalks. Hi. How did you make it seem so easy to play on pitches of mud? <laughs> um, you know, when you look at the pitches now and you look at you look at players of your type that make it look so easy now, I can't imagine that one of them would be able to play on the mud heaps that you made, well, that you graced. Yeah, I don't, you know, I look at it now and, and I'll get a bit missed around. Dribbling now should be encouraged even more now than it was 20 years ago because yeah. the pitches are so good they can only kick you now twice. <laughs> you know, I, knew, I knew I knew I'd get kicked straight from the kickoff. I used to say to the lads, "Give me the ball." I know they're going to going to put me in the stand. But <laughs> I was I was quite. I, there was not a lot of me at that time, but I it, I knew if people were kicking me that I was playing well. Mm. You know, so and it's just it's just something I love doing. I love playing football. That is a simple art of it. I love going in training. Mm. I love playing. I love playing at Upton Park. Um, for the fans, the atmosphere there is unbelievable. And uh, it's just, I love playing football, and that's the bottom line, you know. I love every minute of it when I play. Yeah. We had Billy Bonds on a couple of weeks ago, and he said that after he stopped playing, he didn't like going to go, didn't like going back to Upton Park. Do, do you go back yourself? Uh, no, I didn't go back for, for a very long time. Uh, 
So that was something, nothing to do with the fact, something that uh, I weren't happy with, mm. something the club done. So uh, I don't even want to talk about that. So I didn't go back for about 15 years. Wow. And have you, so you've been back recently? Yeah, I'll go back now. It's, it, I've, I've gone back now and everything's fine. And, uh, um, you know, I go when, you know, I'm working at Braintree. So uh, when it's a midweek game or it's a Sunday game, mm. then, then I'll go. Um, I don't go as much as I'd like to. But it's only because I'm working at Braintree. Yeah, sure. And you're doing quite well there now. Um, you 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 did you did well previously at Hampton and Richmond, and now you've gone on to Braintree. And I think you're just outside the playoffs at the moment. Is your ultimate ambition to maybe one day manage West Ham? Um, listen, at the end of the day, I'm too old now. I'm 57, mm. so it would have been something that I would love to have done. You know, helped out in the scouting or coaching. Um, but it's, that's gone now. But uh, I love the club. And, mm. uh, and I just wish them well and I just want them to win something for the fans really that's, that's all I want to do and get into Europe or something like that win a cup mm. um, you know because the, the fans deserve that you know yeah absolutely so who who was like your big influences as manager sir and, and it was how was was John Lyle John Lyle a big influence on your management style yeah he's massive he's massive he's mm. just just the way he, he spoke to you and uh and that, you know, every Monday after a game, I used to always spend 10, 15 minutes with John just talking about the game on, mm. on Saturday, you know, you know what I could have done better and all that, and he'd tell me. And, and that went on for years, you know. Um, and I learned a lot from John. And he was a, you know, he should have managed England, to be fair. Mm. He was being perfect for it. Yeah, <clears throat> and following on from John Lyle was Lou Macari. Now, um, there's all these rumours that maybe the players didn't like him. How, how much truth is in that? I hated him as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to be fair, it was um, it was just a culture shock. It was I I, I, I said I smashed my knee up um, in '84, and uh, I could only train properly Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I had to rest up my knee because it was it wouldn't be if I trained Thursday and Friday, then I wouldn't be able to play on a Saturday. Mm. And he come in and he wanted me to run on a Friday, and I just said, well, I can't. If I run on a Friday, I can't, you know, be out of play. Mm. Um, and he, you know, he, he said he's going to sack me. I said, well, go on then, sack me then. <laughs> There's lots mm. of things, you know, and just, you know, there's no understanding about it, you know, because I think he was one of these players that when he played, he had to run every day, he had to do things every day, but everyone's different, you know, and mm. you've got to know. You know, to get the best out of players, you've got to get inside their heads and their minds. And uh, that was something that John was great about, that Lou McCarley didn't have a clue about. Mm. So, were you were you there when he left the club and Billy Bonds came in? I left then. I decided to to leave. Then I went out a year at Watford. I just felt, you know, it, I needed to get away for Bonds. It was, it was unfair to me to kind of Bonds out put the pressure on maybe to re-sign me. So mm. I decided just really to to give it a break. Then you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what and um, what, what did you make of? I mean, did you ever hear any stories of Billy Bond's management style? Did everyone? Because I mean, Harry Redknapp's in the in the press last week saying the place was something of a shambles. Is is that what you heard? Or would... I, I don't know. I, I, mm. Listen, at the end of the day, Bonzo, you know, is one person um, as a man and that as a player. I'll always have the utmost respect for. So uh, mm. I would not say nothing against Bonzo because all I've got is. Uh, great things about Billy so uh, I think the world of him so yeah it's just a shame everyone's not like that isn't it <clears throat> well yeah it's alright people talking behind people when mm. they've left things you know that's, 
I'm one of these that say it when it happens and say it to someone's face, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, what what were your initial thoughts when you saw, like, Harry Redknapp saying that stuff in his book? Is it... Well, it's the first time I've heard about it, mm. to be fair. He's telling me now, so... Uh, oh, right, okay. You know, so um, I just look at it and, 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 and that is, I think there's a lot more it goes deeper than that between Billy and, and Harry, mm. I think. So uh, um, I let them deal with it. Yeah, Alan, your um, your managing style now is it? Do you, do you kind of base it on mainly what you learned from John Lyle, or you know how how have you developed it over the years? Is it, it is it harder than you think managing? Yeah, harder than you thought it would be, rather than it's, it's like anything. It's like any job you do. It's as hard as you want to make it. You know, all I all I found out is I love doing what I'm doing. Mm. I love football. Um, yeah, there's good times and bad times in it, but. At the end of the day, the only pressure that you're going to put on is what you put on yourself. Mm. You know, I was privileged to play football and people stick that at me, I pressure my hand in front of people. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, the feeling, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Playing in front of people, cheering and maybe giving a stick or whatever, but, it's, you know, being a footballer and being involved in football is a privilege. Mm. And it's the best job in the world. Yeah. And people should appreciate that get on with it and uh, realise how lucky they are yeah it's nice to hear that actually because there is always quite a lot of negativity from uh, from it so it's nice to hear that, that someone say actually enjoy doing it mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, um, I love, love it you know just you know going, maybe I appreciate it more because I worked for 18 months before I was professional mm. and I know what it's like to get up at, you know early in the morning and get home late at night so maybe I was you know appreciate it a little bit more than some people now so mm. And um, just a quick final question on your old stomping ground, uh, the place you kind of made your own, Upton Park. We're just a few years now from that being um, kind of done away with and West Ham will move to the Olympic Stadium. Are you sad to see Upton Park go and are you looking forward to the Olympic Stadium? Yeah, I'm very sad to see it go, you know. Mm. It's, um, you know, I've played there so long and, and fantastic memories there and I still believe that the night games, the atmosphere at night games, midweek games were unbelievable at Upton Park. Mm. Uh, I will miss it, you know, massive. But club has to move on, and uh, Olympic Stadium. Hopefully, there's fantastic memories in many years to come at the Olympic Stadium. I wish West Ham all the best there. Uh, sorry, I'm just going to throw in one more question. So, the current team, you know, when you do, you like seeing the likes of uh, Morrison in there with a bit of skill and running at the players. I bet, I bet, being a a flair player yourself, you love seeing a little bit of that. I like to see more of it. To be fair. Um, I watch the Premiership games and, and, and I get bored sometimes watching it. You know, I looked at a few of the games, you know, Everton, Tottenham, and you want to see shots, you want to see attacking players, flair players more. And to be fair, I enjoy watching the Spanish football a little bit more mm. um, because they seem more attacking-minded than in the Premiership nowadays. And yeah, I, I want to be entertained. I don't want to, you know, people passing the ball back in the square. And that, you know, you pass for a purpose to to attack you know, the team as quick as possible and if you can get at their back four you're going to score and uh, I just feel the, the game they keep saying the game's quicker and all that and to be fair I think it's a myth <laughs> um, mm. a total myth it looks quicker maybe because the pitches are so nice now and all that you know mm. but um, there's no way they are fitter than we were 20 years ago and I, I just I won't anyone tell me differently because all I would say to you is if the game is so quick or quick that you've got someone of 40 playing in the Premiership. <laughs> That's what my answer would be. If the game's supposed to be quicker, surely, mm. you know, as good as Ryan Giggs is, 
he ain't going to get quicker in his 30s than he mm. was when he was in his 20s. Yeah. 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 Mind you, having said that, it wasn't Billy Bonds playing until he was 41, 42. Yeah, that's what I mean. Mm. There's people looking up, but it's a touch that gives you time. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't matter how quick you are to play against Olympic Christie. Mm. Uh, when he was Olympic champ, he wouldn't get the ball off me because he'd come to, come to me on to pop the ball around him. So mm. it's not about athletes and that, you know, it's about yeah. brain and being able to play the game properly. Yeah. So what I would love to have seen that you you going past him for Christie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I better not tell you what he might have stopped me with. <laughs> He's a big boy. Yeah. We all know that. Yeah. <laughs> Just a final question: Is that of interest? When you go when you go around Upton Park, do you get recognised? Because obviously you had such a distinctive look in the eighties, and now you like you look totally different. Do, do, can you walk around unnoticed? <laughs> Sometimes I can. It's funny because I think I think because of like I didn't go back for fifteen years or for yeah. a long time and people lose what you look like. You know, you change, you change and get older. Yeah. But I must admit I have changed. My hair's gone and my cash is gone. <laughs> Put on a few pounds. Um but yeah, listen, it's great sometimes you don't want to be recognised <laughs> sometimes, you know? Yeah. Especially at a night a night out the night before. But <laughs> no, listen, listen, at the end of the day the, the fans have been brilliant for me over the years and uh, all I've ever had is, is, is nice things said to me and, mm. and always talking about football, you know, when I played and that means a lot to me, you know. That's a that makes it all worthwhile, you know. Yeah. Well, you've, you've given us so many fantastic memories, and uh, thanks for coming on. And lastly, good luck with Braintree Challenge. Yeah, good season. luck for the season. You're in a fantastic yeah, position. Yeah, and, thanks, uh, guys. Hope it ends thanks, successful. Thanks, guys. All the best. Yeah, take Cheers. care. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Okay, so that was the Alan Devonshire interview. Um, James, he used to be a truck. He was driving a truck one week, and then he was playing in front of Upton Park. I oh, know. And what a player. I know. What a man. What we should talk about, actually, is our sign in so far this summer. <laughs> well, this is pre-recorded. I can't so believe we got Eden Hazard. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't believe well, he I, I never would have guessed Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> would want to play for us. But it turns out he's at East, he's in the South. He used to stand in the South Bank. Yeah. Watching and, Bishop. And what do you think about Sir Alex as our manager? <laughs> I wasn't sure. Yeah. I'm shocked. With Sam's drop down to assistant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shocking uh, one man who has uh, so we're, we're recording these introductions in May we don't know what's happened <laughs> imagine not, not, we don't know what's happened in the future when people hear this but um, John Hartson's uh, 50 to 1 the odds right now for him being next manager and John Hartson is the next player interview which we're going to drop in right now so if you were a West Ham fan between February 97 and January 99, there was likely one name on your lips, that of our next guest. 73 appearances, 33 goals, with 24 of those goals in 42 games in the 97-98 season. Welcome to the show to your debut, Super Johnny Hartson. Good evening, guys. Thanks very much. Nice intro, that. Yeah. <laughs> those, we consistently get the stats ever so slightly wrong. Do they, do they sound right? <laughs> I think that was right, yeah. I think wow. so. Wow. But, uh, 33 and 71, I think. Did you say 71 or 73? Se- oh, I said 73. 33 oh, goals. okay. There might have been two substitute appearances. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's, it's quite funny, actually, because I work with an Arsenal fan, a Wimbledon fan, and a Celtic fan, and it seems like every fan of every club you play for seems to love you. And I'd say even West Ham especially, certainly everyone I speak to. I mean, what do you put that down to? Why do you think it, like, all the clubs you play for, everyone seems to love you so much? Well, it didn't always seem that way, if mm. I'm honest with you, um, throughout my career. You know, you have, you have good times and you have bad times. But the one thing that I always gave, you know, was, was 100%. And, um, you know, I was very privileged to have had the career that I had and to have played with the players that I, that I did. Mm. You know, and 
if I'm being totally honest with myself and if I'd have really knuckled down and if I'd have sort of bought into the maybe the training methods and you know and maybe looked after myself a little bit more I mean physical I was I was in decent shape but I just feel as if um, there were times where you know I maybe chose to go and have a few beers but I, I might have chose to a bottle of water or something like that mm. and you know, but at that particular time, you know, you act the way that you do um, because, you know, that's what you feel is right at the time. But I, I feel I probably could have gone on and achieved even bigger things in football if I had just tuned in slightly to the diet side of the game. Maybe the likes of the Rio Ferdinands and the Frank Lampards, you look at the careers that they have had, that is mainly because of their attitude and the way that they've adjusted their diet and their fitness. You know, and ability-wise, I was right up there. You know, I, mm. I had lots of talent. I had good feet. I was good in the air. I was aggressive. I could play the game. I knew the game. You know, I, I mastered the role of being a number nine, if you like. And, mm. you know, that is not sounding big-headed. That is me, what most people will tell you, that John Hartson was a very good football player. Mm. But if, if, if I tuned in, as I said, like one or two other professionals have done, you know, maybe I could have gone onto the Uniteds or played abroad because, you know, I possess the ability, you know, the mm -hmm. natural ability, which which a lot of footballers don't have. They actually work hard at. But I was born with a gift, I believe, and, and sometimes I, I maybe took that gift for granted. Mm. Well, I mean, you were at, at Arsenal when you, when you signed for West Ham. Um, and Arsene Wenger, I understand, he had, like, very kind of strict re regime. Did you work well mm -hmm. with that regime? Yes, I did, yeah. And if you look at me, you know, when I was 19, 20, 21, I was in great shape, you know. Mm. I was, I was, I, no, I was in good physical shape. Um, you know, but there was a bit of a drinking culture when I went to Arsenal, you know, where you had Tony Adams who, mm. who came out publicly and admitted he was an alcoholic. And I, I think Tony's been clean ever since. And obviously you had Paul Merson that checked himself into a priory. So Paul came back into the training. Uh, at that particular time when I joined and it was all Paul had a counsellor with him on a daily basis you know sat next to him on the bus travelling to away games so it, tend, it tended to basically stop when I went to Arsenal maybe if I joined Arsenal a, a year prior you know when the boys were full blast I might have ended up in the priory with Paul Merson <laughs> but um, you know the fact was you know Arsene Wenger came in and he changed it all around and you know, we, he, he would go, he would take a stretch in and, you know, after games and, sorry, after training sessions, he would sit in the middle and we'd all sit around him and he'd, you know, he'd go through, you know, the repertoire of, from the feet right the way up, you know, to mm -hmm. the shoulders and he, he would sit there and he would, and if you look at the likes of, or even talk to the likes of Wrighty and, and the skipper and, and Merson and these guys, you know, and Lee Dixon, they will tell you, admittedly tell you, that Arsene Wenger put two or three years on these players' careers mm. because they tuned into that side of it. And I think Wenger, you know, we have a lot to thank Arsene Wenger for because he was one of the first foreign coaches to have come into the to the English game, the Premier League, and he changed quite a lot in terms of the diet, diet mm. and in terms of you know the players warming up and warming down and. I think that was mainly, you know, one of the biggest things that hmm. Arsene Wenger needs to be, um, we need to be thankful for Wenger for. Yeah. Well, well in February 1997, you went from Arsene Wenger to Harry Redknapp. He comes knocking. Was West Ham a tough sell? Did he really have to sell it into you? Well, I wanted to play, you see, and the thing was at Arsenal, I, you know, I was doing okay, and, you know, Wenger put me and Whitey up top a few times with Dennis Bergkamp just sort of in that number 10 role in behind us, and 
And then I think the start of the 97 on towards the end of 96, you know, I think Wrightley and Dennis started to play together more often and they, they formed this unbelievable partnership and I found myself, you know, it was a lot more difficult to break in then um, because Wrightley and Dennis were leading the Premier League charts in terms of the goals and their partnership was fantastic and they were arguably two of the best in the world at that particular time. You had Dennis Bergkamp, you know, number nine for Holland and Wrightley was the England number nine at the time. So, it wasn't a shame to be out of the team behind them too and Wenger actually wanted me to stay and, and, and work and you know and learn off these guys but I had Harry Redden up on the phone you know Harry can be quite persistent when he wants something <laughs> and he was saying to me look John you know you'll be perfect for us you know we get plenty of balls in the box to you he says I'm signing another striker tomorrow which I didn't know it was going to be Paul Kitson mm. he said and he says we'll, we'll play around you he says I'll build my team around you he says, you're perfect for us. I was 21, I was hungry, I was young, I had plenty of spunk, I had plenty of energy. You know, I just wanted to go and play. And with hindsight, I could have stayed at Arsenal, picked up great wages. You know, I think Arsenal did the double in 1998 mm-hmm. under Wenger. So obviously I'd swapped that sort of period uh, to go and play at West Ham, which to my credit, I wanted to play. You know, mm-hmm. I think you train all week to play on a weekend. Um, and I wasn't prepared to sit on the bench and uh, so I went and played and you know I had a fantastic time early on at West Ham you know myself and Paul Kitson along with the other guys you know we had a great end to the season where we kept West Ham in the Premier League and then my next season was my highest tally in the Premier League 24 goals I think it was Mm. 15 Premier League goals and and nine cup goals so I had a great time initially at West Ham. Mm. But, but when you first joined in February '97, obviously West Ham were in a, a relegation scrap. How confident were you that they had enough to stay up? I wasn't, if I'm being <laughs> honest. You know, I was joining West Ham. I was signing a four, four and a half year contract, and I never thought much of the relegation situation. To be honest, I just went in there, did my best. Initially, you know, we we started out me and Kits, and we we you know we had a great understanding. We scored goals, you know, I remember we went up to Leicester and we won midweek and we beat um, we beat Tottenham at home, which was a big game on my home debut, 4-3, you know, Dixie smashing in a penalty mm. right in the last minute. You know, um, we went to, uh, I think we went to Coventry and won. We went to Leicester and won. We beat Sheffield Wednesday 5-3 at home. I think Pitt scored a hat-trick. So we hit it off straight away and we, we slowly started climbing the table and and we avoided relegation, which was fantastic. But initially, I don't think I really gave it much thought. I was just concentrating, <laughs> I was just concentrating on getting in the side, mm. you know, scoring goals, playing every game, training every day, and just becoming part of West Ham and just be putting that cloud and blue shirt on, number 10 on my back. And I felt at home. I was made to feel at home. Harry Redknapp made me feel I was important to the team. I wasn't so next one in. Um, I wasn't waiting for somebody else to get injured or to get my chance. I was straight in the team, you know, and uh, I hit it off with kits and I started scoring goals and mm. the rest is history, as I say. Yeah, I mean, that, your signing with Paul Kitsons is often kind of used as a the template for a great a great bunch of signings that save a season. Um, but with Paul Kitson, was it was it just that you clicked together, like you just your playing styles were just really well matched? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we were both quite intelligent. You know, Paul was very good at at, at going and, and facing uh, the play. Whereas at Arsenal, I was doing a lot of that myself. But whereas at West Ham now, I've got somebody that will also do that. 
so all the pressure wasn't all the pressure wasn't particularly on me when the midfielders are breaking with the ball. It was always me that was going to the edge of the box to try and face the play to give them like a target to hit. Whereas Paul was very good at that as well. You know, whereas at Arsenal I was sort of the sidekick to Ian Wright or Dennis Bergkamp and I'd be doing the sort of donkey work, taking a couple of defenders out of the way to play them in type of thing. But Kitts was very good at that as well. He was ever so strong. He had an eye for goal. He played for a big club before in Newcastle, played with the likes, you know, under Kevin Keegan and these type of characters. So he was very good. He was better than actually than what I give him credit for. I'd only seen him for a little bit at Derby, Derby County, scoring some goals. But I'd not so, I didn't think uh, he was as good as what he actually turned out to be. And he was a fantastic player to have alongside you. He would do the donkey work as well. He was physical. He could run. He was quick. And more than most, you know, he um, he could get goals as well. He was a great goal scorer. Mm. So, so we so we stayed up that for your, in your first kind of season. Then in the second season, we ended up finished eighth. So, I mean, what changed over that summer to, to go from this team fighting relegation to just being uh, like one of the one of the top teams in the Premiership? Well, we had a really good side. You know, we were, we were we were quite settled. And if you look at the if you look at the the, um, the midfield players that we had, you know, we had little Al Berkovic, who I've no doubt that you'll go on to and want to get my comments on that, which is no problem. <laughs> Al, Al, Al was a, he was a fantastic little mm. footballer. You know, he made a lot of my goals. He was very unselfish. And you had young Frank Grandpart coming through. You had young Rio. You had young Joe Cole. Mm. You know, we had Ludo McCrosco, um, which was, he was a fantastic goalkeeper, a very vastly experienced you know, our full-backs with Dixie and Timmy Breaker at the back. We had Potsy coming with Rio. We had a, we had a player called Richard Hall who was like mm. head on a stick, you know. He was fantastic in the air. You know, and, and the wingers, you know, we had Stan Lazaridis who, who crossed the ball. We had Travis Sinclair, you know, middle of the park. You had Bish, Lomas, mm. um, myself, Kitts, you know, and we had a good side and... We had great team spirit as well. That was the one thing at West Ham. We'd all go for a bit, of, a bit of lunch together, and we'd all play golf together. John Monker, you know, John would get mm. us on at Nazing, where his brother was a pro. Mm. Um, and I was happy. I was happy in my home life. I was settled on, in Hertfordshire, in Brookmans Park, with a young family, and mm. I'd meet up with Ian Dowie every morning, and we'd come in over Fading Boys, and you know, over Haynorth there and Haynorth Forest, and then we'd come down, dip into into the training ground and it was a really good period I loved it at West Ham and mm. it was a shame in the end that, you know when I left you know the way it happened because I had a seven year contract at West Ham mm. wow. you know people don't realise I had five years left to run um, Harry would give me a new deal and you know, I don't know how much of it he took himself, but uh, he certainly gave me a new deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you've touched on it. You've touched on it there. Like there was an epic bunch of characters in the team when you were there, including yourself. If I drop you a few names, can you tell me what they were like as kind of characters in the dressing room? Yeah, if we of course I can. Yeah, I'll do my best. Okay, so firstly, Julian Dix. Dixie was great. Um, physical. You know, no nonsense, loved by the West Ham fans, a real sort of fans favourite. Probably the only West Ham player that I'd seen never to get booed by the chicken run. <laughs> they absolutely loved him. And I think there was a game where we got, where Dixie got sent off at, uh, just before half time. Mm. And we've got in the dressing room with a goal down. And we've come out for the second half, and the crowd, the away crowd, are singing his name. There's only one Julian Dixon, <laughs> and, 
Harry's looking around thinking, well, what can I do to that, you know? Because <laughs> he really was, he could have done anything. Yeah. You know, he could have, uh, you know, he could have done anything and the West Ham fans would have applauded. He's a real favourite. Mm. And it's a bit of a shame that he's not working at the club in any capacity. Mm. I'd love to see Jules back at West Ham, you know? Mm, absolutely. Um, Tim Breaker? Tim, again, somebody who I knew from Luton. I came through the ranks at Luton as a as a teenager, you know, coming up during the school holidays, and it was Luton that I, that I joined as um as an apprentice at 16, coming up from Swansea in Wales. Tim was in the first team, so I got to know Tim a little bit. You know, obviously, I knew about him, knew about his character. He knew me. Um, good fallback, very reliable. You know, good engine. Good delivery, you know, he used to put a few crosses in from that right side, up and down all day long, you know, he'd work mm. really well with uh, with Trevor Sinclair. Um, and a great guy, but really quiet, but a good sense of humour, just a real good character, Tim Breaker, I liked him a lot, you know. Mm. Trevor Sinclair? Trev, uh, just a ball of fun, really, a bundle of fun, always laughing, always cracking yeah. jokes. A bit of a London boy, you know, back and forth into London and the clubs and quick, always had a different hairdo and um, <laughs> good ability, good ability, a good trainer, fantastic ability actually, Trev. Yeah. You know, he had so many things up his sleeve in terms of tricks and everything else. Um, but a great lad, always smiling, reminding me similar to Ian Wright, you know, at yeah. Arsenal and always bubbly in the morning, never comes in grumpy or... You know, you, you hear, right, you hear Trev before you see him, like, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he's a real mixer, really nice lad, and good ability as well, fantastic ability. Mm. Just a couple more. Firstly, Samasi Abu. <laughs> yeah, Samasi Abu, again, uh, somebody who I sort of struck up a, a decent partnership yeah. with, you know, when Kit had one or two injuries. He was okay, Samasi. I think he felt a little bit in my shadow, if you know mm, what I mean. Yeah. You know, I'd been the goal scorer, and he'd come into the side, and um, we never, we, we weren't as successful as myself and, and Kitson, obviously. But he was decent, you know. He was a decent player. He was strong. Um, you know, he never got that many goals, and but. You know, I've got to say, he was a nice enough lad. I'm not going to hang him out to dry. I've got nothing on him. I've, mm. I've never really been out with him this out or the other. So, but he was okay. He was okay. Yeah. He wasn't the wasn't the most gifted of players in the world, but he was strong. He went in there, tried his heart out. Yeah. You know, and he was a nice kid. Was so much, you know. Um, how about John Monco? We've heard a few John Monco stories. I think Ian Bishop gave us one a couple of weeks ago. Apparently, he was called the Maggot. Can you shed any more light on this, John? <laughs> Well, have a guess. <laughs> you know, how <laughs> you produce four kids, I'll never know. But, um, but he was all right, Monk. He was all right. He was a bit mental, you know, but in, in, in good spirit. You know, he was the type of lad that he would just do anything to make the lads laugh, would John. Yeah. You know, he was, he was a real sort of uh, joker in the pack, really. And, uh, you know, there'd be days when it'd be freezing cold. It'd be like December the 28th. Mm. You know, they'd be like sort of foot of snow at um, at Chadwell Heath. All the lads have got their gloves and their hats mm. and scarves on, and their big jackets would all run out to training. And monks would run out. Of, he'd run out behind us about ten minutes later with a little Father Christmas around his old boy. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd have been stripped down to the bone. He'd have his boots and his socks yeah. down to his ankles and nothing else on. 
<laughs> and he would just run towards us and sort of dive in the snow, you know, he was just yeah. mental. <laughs> um, I'd give him a drink and he was even worse. <laughs> but I've got to say, I think he's sort of got his life together a little yeah. bit now, uh, John, and I think he's, um, you know, I think he's, you know, he's gone all sensible, which is great for him if that's what he needed to do. But again, great fun, great value. and. Mm. And there was loads. There was there was a young lad coming through, Frank and Rio, and then you had Ian Dow. Mm, he thought yeah. he was like sort of brain of Britain, no <laughs> down that. And, and you had Bish. You didn't want to be left with Bish, just you two in the boozer with Bish. You just would never let you go. Bish just didn't know when to go home. Really? You know, you, it's, it's one of them. You tell him you're going to the toilet, and then he'd like slope away from him, you know. <laughs> but he was a great lad as well. Bish was a great lad, but good spirit really was I've got mm. really good memories of you know of, of having the crack with the boys and, and more than anything else we were a really good side you know we beat a lot of good sides up the park under the lights you know yeah um, you know, I mean so so the following so you scored 24 goals in, in that I think your second season but in the following season things didn't go quite as well what, why did it start no. unravelling well, to be honest, I, I came back um, overweight. Didn't really mm. come back as fit as I should have done for pre-season. And I gave myself a bit of a mountain to climb. Really. I don't know whether I sort of rested on my laurels a little bit from the season before. Maybe I took it for granted that my place was just going to be automatic. Um, I think I finished one goal behind Michael Owen for the Golden Boots. Yeah. The, the 24 goals year I scored. And I, I was absolutely on fire. Although I didn't finish the season well, I can remember I had a four-game ban, mm. which probably could have took us into Europe if I hadn't been banned. But, you know, a lot of things happened to me, guys, when I was younger, which is a bit of a blur, to be yeah. honest. You know, since I've played finishing football, since I've finished playing, you know, I've sort of, you know, I'm a father and I've changed and I'm clean. I don't gamble and I've got I've got kids. I live in Wales. I've got a beautiful wife and I'm working on the television a lot in mm. the media and, when you're a footballer, you're in this bit of a bubble and, um, you know, there were times that I thought to myself, you know, is this really happening to me? And so maybe I took things for granted. Maybe if I'd had my career over again, which I don't think I'd want it <laughs> because, you know, you, you just, you act up the time, you know, you make your bed, you, you, you know, and you, you know, you, you lay in your bed and you, what, what's the saying? Is it you make your bed, you lay in you it? Line it. You yeah. line it, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, there was times in my career where, you know, I thought to myself, it's, it's, you know, look at the career that I had, you know, Arsenal 19, you know, I'm from a council estate in Swansea, so mm. it's, a lot of people would struggle to cope with that, you know, Arsenal at 19, it was a, it was a British record for a teenager, West Ham smashed their transfer record, Wimbledon smashed their transfer mm. record. I'm 23 years of age, I've, you know, I've broken three clubs transfer records, and I'm still only 23, you yeah. know, so it's 15 million pounds, whatever the three transfer added up to. So there's lots of times, you know, I probably took for granted that where I was in my life and what I was actually doing and, you know, I was a Premier League star, I didn't really realise, you know, how famous I'd become overnight and, you know, I tried to just sit in the pub with the lads, I'd go for lunch with the boys and maybe if I sort of put that to one side and really appreciated where I was and what I was doing. But I always remained, you know, I wanted to be one of the lads. I wanted to be same as the boys at home that I'd left behind. Mm. You know, so maybe I took it for granted the second season at West Ham. I came back overweight. Um, I never really had a good start. But as the season got on, it got tougher and tougher, to be honest. Mm. I think there's high expectations of me. 
I never lived up to them expectations. I think we went out to Northampton in the in the League Cup, um, yeah. and then we lost to Swansea. I think it was in the FA Cup, which was my hometown. Um, and obviously, in between that, I'd had the I'd had the training ground bust up with Alberkovich, which which I regretted. And I still regret to this day, you know, it's one of them incidents where I should never have done it, but I'm not, you know, I'm holding my hands up and I'm not trying to make excuses for what happened. I, I took the ban, I took the punishment, I took all the media criticism, you know, and I held my hands up and I said it was wrong. I should never have reacted the way that I did. There was no particular reason mm-hmm. for doing it. It was nothing to do with Alberkovich. It could have been John Munker, it could have been Rio Ferdinand, it could have been Joe Cole. There was nothing to do with the player. It was just that particular morning it happened. There was a camera there and it was caught on camera and then the whole world sort of got to see it. Yeah. And, um, you know, the rest, as they say, is, you know, I dealt with what I had to deal with, but I, I deeply regretted the incident. And from then, I struggled to recapture any type of form um, towards the end of the season. And I think in the January, uh, Joe Kinnear came in with a, with a huge lump mm. sum of money. It was 7.5 million where you paid 3.5 or 3.2. So I'd scored a few goals for you. You were doubling your money mm. in terms of um, the transfer fee, more than doubling your money. And I think out of that money, you went and bought the Canio, mm. uh, Mark Vivian Foley, God rest his soul, and Scott Minto. So you replaced me with three players. You know, I went off to Wimbledon with great memories. You know, um, my sort of head between my knees in a way that I'd embarrassed myself, embarrassed my family, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of what I'd done with Alberkovich. And, and it was just one of them things. And then that's, that's basically my West Ham career. I think I spent 20 months there. Sort of 18 months of them were very good. Yeah. Great memories. I scored goals. I got on great with the lads. We had good spirit. And it just goes to show, you know, your, your life can change sort of in a blink of an eye, really. And within two months, We'd gone out to both cups. Mm. I wasn't performing great. I'd had that embarrassment of the training ground incident, which was shown all over the world and mm. repeated. I'd been totally, you know, wrecked in the newspapers. Front page, this was front page stuff. It wasn't yeah, back page, it was front page. Wow. It was on News at 10, it was everywhere. So within that two months, um, it had all gone from sort of hero to, to zero. But the one thing from West Ham's point of view was that they got great money for me. Mm. You know, um, and I went to Wimbledon, and as I said, but my memories at West Ham, you know, 95% of them are fantastic. You know, mm. great club, and I always get a great reception when I go back there. Absolutely, yeah. Just the one question yeah. I'll ask on that aisle thing is how common an incident was that thing? Was it just that it was captured on camera? Is it the sort of thing that happens once a month, or was it was it unique? No, it happens all the time. Yeah. You know, it, no, to that to that may be ferociousness. I'm not saying people kick people in the face, you know, <laughs> every day in training. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that happens. But there are fights, yeah, you know, sure. there are punch ups, you know, there are people grappling each other by the throat, you know, people will get punched in the face, people will get two footed mm. in tackle. I played for Wimbledon and I played at Arsenal where tempers get out of hand, you know, mm. in training and if there were cameras there on the side of the pitch, like there was with me at West Ham, then there would be a lot more incidents reported mm. and a lot more players, you know, um, you know, brought to justice, if you like, for their actions. But they're not. They're hidden. They're put away. You know, you look at the guy at um, Southampton, yeah. you know, the lads who, who've just been sacked. Yeah. Um, mm. What's his name? The centre forward. 
What is his name? I can't remember. I can't remember his name. No. Alves? Alves? No. No, it wasn't. <laughs> he, he came over, I think he was £12 mm. million. Pounds. Oh, his, his record signing, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, I don't, I, I, there was reported in some that he'd headbutted somebody. Now, if that's called on camera, yeah, then he's that's front pages. pages. Yeah, sure, you know, that's yeah. not, you know, that slipped under the radar, if you like. He got sacked. I think he now plays for Juventus, so yeah, he's gone somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, but I'm not condoning what I did. I held my hands up, I yeah. took it on the chin. But, mm. you know, if similar things happen, you know, and the problem w- was with me, it was, it was caught by Sky Sports. Yeah. And then, and the like, Bosch, you know, it was all out there and everybody sort of had their piece, you know, yeah. and it was one of them things. It's something that I've had to carry around with me, you know, for the last 20 years, really, 18, 20 years. Mm. Nobody wants to talk about the 33 goals <laughs> in 71 mm. games and, I, you know, how yeah. I kept wet, I'm up single-handedly on my <laughs> we own. We do, John, we haven't forgotten. Yeah, but nobody <laughs> wants, you know, I know what you're saying, but yeah. people will go, what happened to our burger, what happened no, there? What happened? Yeah, but people yeah. just, but that's, that's what it's like and I've had to deal with that and I'm fine about it, you know, yeah. I'll explain to everybody else, you know, I'm sorry it happened, it was, you know, it was a regrettable incident, but mm. it does happen. But as I said, to, to the extent of, you know, uh, how violent that looked type of thing and how violent it was I wouldn't say that happens every day but there are yeah. incidents there are lots of incidents I've been involved in football um, clubs and things where it's, it has kicked off mm. but obviously no cameras it doesn't even get out there in the media does it yeah right. absolutely no. so, so I mean you went on to you went on to have a great career after West Ham of course you went to Wimbledon commentary and of course a, a long period at Celtic but I wondered where does West Ham sit in your whole, when you look back now over your whole career, in terms of like the happiest you were, where does West Ham sit in in your thoughts? It's it's, it's right up there, boys. I've got to be mm. honest. It's right up there because people often say to me, "What's the best club you played for?" And I went to Arsenal at nineteen. It was a great experience. Walking into that dressing room with the England back four and playing with the England striker at nineteen years of age, you know, and the likes of Burkamp and Merson and, and Parler and Merson, they were fantastic players. I think coming to West Ham was great because I held my own. I held my own in the Premier League as a 21-year-old, banging in goals, starring in games, scoring winning goals. You know, being that number nine for West Ham. You know, the likes of, you know, um, Tony Cotty, you know, Jeff Hurst. You know, these great number nines down mm-hmm. the years that I played for West Ham. So I held my own there. But it's a shame I didn't do it for long for a longer period. But no, great supporters got on really well. Had a fantastic rapport with them. And then I went on, you know, Celtic was brilliant for me. I scored over 100 goals for Celtic in five years. Played with Larson, you know, played with Lennon, Sutton, Thompson. Played in Europe, played in the Champions League, you know, and great, great grounds. And and then I went on, obviously, had a wonderful career for my country, Wales, as well. Mm. I had over 50 caps for Wales, playing with the likes of the Giggses and the Speeds and the Rushes and the Bellamy's and the like. So, no, but West Ham is right up there. I've got really good fond memories of West Ham. That incident with Alberkovic sort of blightened that little spell that mm. I had there because it was something that I brought on myself. I'm not blaming anybody else, not even blaming the cameras. It was me that done it and I take full responsibility for my actions. But um, as I said, West Ham is right up there, you know, for that sort of 15, 16 months, you know, that period that I got gold and I was mm. in a great place, great lad, good spirit, top manager in Harry um, was the happiest I'd been in my career I have to say that amazing well we're looking forward to the future now with West Ham um, mm-hmm. one question are we going to stay in the Premier League this season 
I didn't think so. I didn't mm. think so six weeks ago. I thought you were in real, real big trouble. You know, I was, I've, I've been at a few of your games this season. I was at the the Arsenal home game and I watched you draw at Swansea. I think mm. it was a nil-nil. Yeah, and I just thought you didn't have that you didn't have that threat going forward. You know, um, Kevin Nolan was obviously missing his big pal. Andy Carroll, Andy's come back and he he just gives you a different dimension. You know, people were talking about the West Ham long ball. They don't mind. Fans don't mind. You have them long ball now, long ball now because you've got you've got an end product. If it's a good quality ball into the front man, Andy Carroll's getting a one, two, three, and he's unplayable. Mm. He's very much like Duncan Ferguson. You just cannot cope with him. So that's the way Sam wants to go. You know whether the fans are still with him. I'm sure. I'm sure they've changed their tone slightly because you've climbed the league a little bit. But mm. um, I didn't think so. Six weeks ago, I thought you were bang in trouble. I thought West Ham, for me, they can't win a game. They can't mm. score a goal. All right, keeping clean sheets here and there, defending okay, but no threat. You know, goals win your games. Mm. And for uh, well, well, them four wins that you've had. I think you're out of danger. And I think credit to Sam, credit to Andy Carroll, who's come back and give the team a massive lift. Credit to Nolan, who's responded well from his two sending-offs. Mm. He's, actually, he's actually acted like a captain. He's stood mm. up to the plate, you know, and he's done well. He's got goals for you. So I wouldn't have thought it a month ago. I think you're out of trouble now, and I think you're safe, more than safe now. Excellent. Great stuff, John. Well, I mean, certainly as West Ham fans, I don't remember you for that Eilberkovic uh, kick. I remember you for all those great goals and, you know, nearly becoming top scorer in the Premier League and all those great, great nights down Upson Park under the lights, only including your memories. days. Yeah, only good memories. And so thank you yeah, for all no those Yeah, no worries, boys. John, you're it's a proper a star. It's an honour to speak to you. Absolutely. Take care, boys. All the best. Good luck all with everything. Thanks you, again. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was the John Hartson interview. Um, he played under Harry Redknapp and yep. what a shock that he's our new manager <laughs> as well but he's player manager he's still play- I can't believe uh, he's that. no I've got that wrong <laughs> I, I don't know where I was going with that <laughs> comedy cul-de-sac longman they yep. call him uh, yeah the John Hartson interview he can he? go on my main memory of Hartson is he can go on yeah, yeah he did actually <laughs> and but he called up didn't he do you remember he, uh, yeah. I, he missed a call and then he, he called did. up left a really loving message and I'm yeah. really sorry I was putting the kids to bed yeah um, and he was like really kind of apologetic about the Isle Berkovich thing do you remember yeah, he was, um, which I, I didn't feel was necessary, really, because, mm. uh, you know, you sort of go back and look at that video. I did go for him, first of all, which people seem to forget. But, yeah, he was, <laughs> he was, he was really keen to get that across, wasn't yeah. he? That, but but as, uh, as, as James said, um, you know, I don't think any of us really care um, about that. The, the only thing we, we really remember him for was the goals he scored in those couple mm. of seasons when he was prolific for us. And uh, that was just a sideshow, really. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's move on and talk about another famous West Ham striker, a striker who scored in the final of the FA Cup in 2006, Dean Ashton. I thought it was Irvine Welsh. You can't quite get. You can't quite. You did say Irvine Welsh yes, at the start. You right, correct yourself. So on this episode, we've got Alan Devonshire, John Hartson, Dean Ashton, Irvine Welsh. Four people. Oh, four. Okay. Yes. So, so if James won't interrupt me anymore, please uh, let's crack on. And here he is. We're going to drop in the Dean Ashton interview right now. Uh, Our next guest, there are many ways to introduce him, but for me, my own personal favourite memory is his goal in the FA Cup final. It's one of my favourite strikers to ever grace the West Ham shirt. Welcome to the show to your debut, Dean Ashton. Oh, no, thank you very much. It's very kind. Great to have you on. Great to have you on. It's literally an honour. 
Um, oh, Dean's, no, Dean's been much. really patient with us because a couple of weeks ago we had our first studio failure, so we didn't have podcast. <laughs> and then yesterday, uh, Chris had the uh, squits. <laughs> and now that information is out there, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, indeed. You've, you've thrown you've thrown me off with that that bombshell. Um, well, uh, we were lucky enough just then, or well, unlucky enough, just to break the news to you, Dino, that. Um, D, um, Andy Carroll's red card's been upheld by the disciplinary panel. Um, what are your instant thoughts on that? Um, probably slightly worried for, um, for for the next few games. I think obviously everyone could tell what a difference he made. Um, obviously, getting himself back to fitness as well. Certainly, the last couple of games he looked more like his old self, and it was always going to take a while. And that that'd be a massive blow for for Sam. Um, but again, you know, it gives uh, it gives the players who have come in um, a chance to maybe step in and, and perform. Mm. I mean, you, you mentioned there you have a bit of worry about West West Ham. I mean, do you think they've got enough in the tank to stay up? I, I do. I, I even said it a few weeks ago when when things looked a lot, you know, more bleak. Um, but I, I said as soon as they get, you know, their, their, their better players back, then they'd start to climb the league. And, and I think that's already shown. And they do have their best players in the team they, they do look totally different um, and they, they're they just too strong for teams as they showed at the weekend um, and players like Kevin Nolan look different when they're playing with, with Andy Carroll and um, you know Andy hasn't obviously scored yet but in the way he helps the team I think it just um, the team seems to gel and there's, there's, there's more of a confidence within the team when he plays mm. Dean what was your take on the sending off? Um, I think it, I think it was a sending off because I think it, you know I, I'm sure Andy will admit that he shouldn't have probably swung his arm around and it, you know obviously we all know it's, it's pathetic and we all know that you know a few years ago he wouldn't have nothing would have happened but nowadays you just literally can't do that mm. um, and obviously he hasn't got away with it but obviously the antics of uh, Chico Flores were, were pathetic and it's good to hear even the Swansea fans come out and say. Yeah. you know how, how they're disgraced by it so it's a real shame that it's not been overturned but I think you just can't do that anymore. you just can't swing your arm at all anymore mm. um, I mean you you were around a uh, I mean you were around at the time of Kerb- Kerbishly right when, I mean, when we had that season where we stayed up by the skin of our teeth when Tevez scored in the last day but was there do you think the, could you is there a sense that this team is together do you think like is it, have they got that spirit still do you think I think so. I mean, again, you see it at the weekend when, when obviously the team played well. Um, Kevin Nolan's a big player for you know being the captain as well. I think when he team's happy and playing well, the team seems to gel a bit more as well. So I think obviously when he had his sendings off over Christmas, mm. obviously it didn't look great. But I, I said all along, you can't, you can't a team like West Ham cannot do without the amount of players they had out. They just can't cope. Um, and, and I think that's shown the last few games when they've had their players back that um, they're a different team. Mm. When um, decisions go against you, and I think a lot of the West Ham supporters feel that perhaps the sending off was unjust, do you think it, it, as a team it creates a kind of siege mentality? Oh, without a doubt, of course, yeah. Obviously, everyone will feel uh, gutted for Andy. Uh, you know, he's the one that's going to miss out. I know the team are, but. You know, I know what it's like to be out for a long time and all you want to do is play. So to miss the next three when he was probably just mm-hmm. feeling yeah. like he was getting back into it, it would be a real blow to him. And also 
the rest of the team, but that that'll make them think, well, actually, you know, he's missing out, but um, you know, we're going to show him, and, and 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 you know, the next two games, I mean, Villa away and, and Norwich at home, you know, they're massive, massive games for West Ham. They've got to pick up some points, which uh, you know they did at Chelsea, which no one no one thought. Hmm. Um, moving the conversation on to happier, happier times. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you about that game against Manchester City away, where you dominated them in the FA Cup, and I think was that the quarter final, as I recall. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, what a day and what a performance from you on that night. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fantastic, obviously, as a team to go to Man City and and beat them, uh, beat them there. You know, it's one of my favourite nights of my career. Um, it's, it's definitely one. It's definitely the, the game that most West Ham fans talk to me about. Which obviously really? for me, I, I obviously the FA Cup final and the uh, my, obviously my goal at Old Trafford and you know and things like that is what I sort of remember more. Mm. Um, but the West Ham fans talk about the Man City away, so I think um, obviously everyone who travelled it was such a fantastic. Um, Fantastic night, and obviously people who watched it on telly as well. Mm. Did you have a sense? What went like after that game? Did you have a sense like, oh, we we could we could have a hand on it here? Like we might be in with a chance. I felt that right as soon as soon as I as soon as I joined West Ham, I felt like that because there was such a. Um, I mean, I'd say like a happy-go-lucky with the squad. I think everyone there was such good character in the squad. Everyone. Was so together. There was this real sort of riding the crest of a wave, being promoted and doing well, and um, you could just feel that within within the whole squad. And you know, although people didn't think we could go to City and win, we really felt like we could do that, and we we, we really felt we were going to beat Borough. And again, we felt like we we could have won the final. We probably should have won the final. Mm. Um, so it was just definitely that 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 season that I joined. There was such a good feel about the place. Mm. Uh, well, you mentioned that West Ham fans bring up the quarter-final and the final, but you had a massive role in the semi-final too, nodded on the ball onto Harewood for him to score the winner. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, you know, uh, flipping it on doesn't really get you recognition. <laughs> uh, you know, Marlon deserves the recognition because it was a great finish. Um, but, I mean, that's what I was brought to the club to do, was, mm. to, was to link up the play between sort of midfield and, and Marlon up front. Um and, and that was part of my job, and I enjoyed sort of doing that as well. So it was great just to be a part. And again, it was a, such a special day. The amount of fans that were there, you know, it felt like a home game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I was in the crowd. It felt like that from the crowd as well. Who was your favourite player to play play uh, as like strike partner with? That was. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, Craig Bellamy. It felt it felt easiest with Craig Bellamy yeah. just because you know he he had the experience, but he, he had the pace and. He, you know, he used to scare defenders to death, and it just left so much, so much space for me in behind. Mm. Um, I could really sort of play the way I wanted to play, which was try and get the ball off, off sort of players like Nobs and, and turn and influence the game. And like I said, because he scared defenders so much with his pace in behind and also his, uh, his touch, <clears throat> um, it was probably him. But again, a lot, I've got to give a lot of credit to Martin when I first got there. He was superb. Um, and obviously, you can learn off Teddy for sort of a year and a half. Yeah, very sure. special as well. Um, let's talk about the FA Cup final. Um, on the day, like, what, what was what was Pardew's team talk to to, to the team? Um, I mean, it was. A, I, obviously, I've, I've said this before in, in a few interviews, but it was, it was strange for me just because um, 
the night before or the day before he, he picked the team but he didn't name me or Bobby Zamora so he picked the whole team he picked the whole team except me and Bobby Zamora right he said he said he couldn't decide uh, so everyone else obviously slept on it knowing they were playing or knowing if they were on the bench and wow. he, he obviously left it to me and Bobby to sort of sleep on it which was obviously agonising and um, we, we, we actually didn't find out until an hour before kickoff. So wow. obviously all the leading up to the game, being at the stadium, taking it all in was all um, it was all a bit strange because obviously I was desperate to play, Bobby was desperate to play and one of us was going to miss out. Mm. Um, obviously for Bobby it was him. Um, so that was a real strange sort of leading up to the final. But I mean, in terms of um, his team talk to the team, I think he is confident himself, Alan Pardew, and he sort of brings that across and he just said, you know, the way we played all season and the feeling we've had, he sort of said it felt like it was our day and make sure you go out and sort of grab it. Mm. Um, I mean, so so how did he break the news to you that it was you were getting the nod over Bobby Zamora? Just in the dressing room, obviously we've been out to the pitch and uh, sort of soaked it all in and everyone came back in and sort of out before kickoff when obviously the team sheets are meant to go in probably five minutes before that he just sort of sat down in front of everyone and just said look I'm going with Dean because of this this and this and, and, and that was it and it was honestly it was you know it, it was, to say it was awkward was an understatement between <laughs> me and Bobby and it, it's only natural because he wanted to play and I wanted to play mm. um, so talk me through so Matt Efferton hits a shot we're 1-0 up Rainer dribble like doesn't catch it it dribbles out in front of you and you tap it under him and see it go in you're scoring in an FA Cup final what does that feel like? Um, I think it's, it's I mean it's so hard to describe because it's a combination of all the hard work you put in over the years mm. a pack you know a pack stadium with arguably you know as many West Ham fans as you're ever likely to see in a stadium all at one end yeah um it just sort of erupts and it's uh, it just so, so special. I mean, it's obviously to, to score, but at the time to go to nil up as well. Yeah. Um, it wasn't It wasn't until sort of you get back to the centre circle, you sort of just dawns on you a little bit. That, <laughs> just, yeah. That you, you've actually scored in the FA Cup final. <laughs> and, and, then it, and then it dawns on you that it was a scrappy tapping. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite how you dreamed it. I'll do. <laughs> um, so at that stage, did you think our name's on the cup? No, not at all. No, obviously it was uh, it was too early for that. But mm. um, I mean, first half we we played really well, and we and we were gutted that sort of we let Cisse in mm. to, to 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 nick one back um, before half time. That was that was a real blow for us. But again, second half we were superb. Mm. Uh, obviously, on a personal level, I was gutted to get taken off. Um, we sort of twenty five minutes to go, because yeah. I felt like I I could still influence the game. Mm. Who came on for you? Was it Harewood to come on for you? Or? No, no, Bobby. Bobby, oh, Bobby yeah, came yeah, yeah. on. Uh, so, I mean, full-time, we end up losing on penalties. Um, what was the atmosphere? I mean, from a fan's perspective, I think everyone was just so proud of the team. But but what was it like for the players? Yeah, well, I mean, we that, we didn't really get that feeling. I think, for me, by far the, one of the worst moments of my career mm-hmm. is having to watch Liverpool um, lift the trophy. And for us to be all stood there... Um, Obviously, not being able to get our hands on it—that was just—that's just awful, you know. All you dream about is is, is lifting a trophy for mm. for your club, and uh, to not do that—I think that was, yeah, it was just absolutely gutting. 
Mm. Yeah, in such a cruel way for us to, to lose that final as well. It was, it was funny, actually, because we joke about, me and a couple of mates who were there, we always joke about that sliding door moment that Gerard's goal didn't go in and the three of us are still in Cardiff to this day getting smashed. <laughs> 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 like the euphoria of that win would never leave yeah. us. No, I, 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 you know, it's the same as a player. You know, it would, it would have, it certainly would have defined my career mm. um, to be a to be a, an FA Cup winner. Um, would have, I think, something that would. I mean, obviously, it's something that people are going to remember for for a long time. Being my fans, but obviously, if you if you actually win it, you know, I think that sort of sinks a bit deeper with the fans, and mm. um, I think you know, it, it's remembered a lot more. Mm. Um, well, I mean, we had that really successful season. We got to the FA Cup final. And then the season, I think it was the season after that, things started to fall apart with uh, Alan Pardew. Um, I mean, can you put your finger on it? Why did things like go from so great to so bad? I got injured. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a, no, mass, that's yeah. a huge, huge loss for us. Um, no, I mean, obviously, they still have some great players. But I just think, you know, we, it, like I say, we were on that sort of crest of a wave, the mm. whole squad. And you got to the final, and then the next season it perhaps didn't didn't quite start as we wanted, and and it's amazing how the confidence just sort of um, slips away. Um, obviously, I wasn't invo- as involved as with the squad and what was going on on match days mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing because I still took myself away while I was while I was training. But um, yeah, you could just tell the the atmosphere around the place, the confidence had gone, really? and it's really, really, it's really so hard to get it back. Mm. Um, and, and they just never really managed to get get it back. And uh, I, th- I felt for it, obviously Pardew because I thought he did a, a really good job, and obviously he brought me to the club. So I was I was gutted that he'd left while I was injured. Mm. Um, obviously, you know the main thing was at the time that that they stayed up. Yeah. Um, you, you touched you touched on your, your injury there. I mean, was was it a case of just it was bad it was bad luck and like nothing nothing anyone could have done to kind of aid your recovery or or, or did the club make bad decisions in you, in terms of your recovery? No, I mean I'm just very very unlucky. I mean I get asked quite a lot about that, and uh, you see players who have horrific injuries, you know, like Aaron Ramsey and Valencia at Man U, yeah, sure. who uh, did you know did his ankle badly. Um, I'm just very unlucky the way I broke it. It was an unusual break, just the way I, I broke my ankle, and obviously I managed to get back, but I was never I was never the same. Mm. Um, but it's uh, it's just one of those things, you know, just very very unlucky. Mm. Um, well, you know, I mean, you gave us so many amazing memories, and like, just it was great just to chat through you, chat to you with about that FA Cup final, and uh, just that. I mean, that quarter final against Man City alone makes you a legend in my eyes. Yeah, we'd have you back in a flash. <laughs> just, what, yeah. what you sure you still can't play? Are you sure, Dino? Are you sure? <laughs> it's still registered. What's your favourite goal was? Oh, very quickly, what's your favourite goal? Um, it is the um, overhead kick at um, Old Trafford, just because I'm from that way. And, um, you know, to do that at Old Trafford was special. Um, for me, anyway, even though we were three 0 I know that's the. I was going to say that's the annoying thing about that goal. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same. It was a nil nil with ninety minutes on the clock. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think actually as well, I, I, I the goal against Villa on uh, on the last day of the season as well. That was that was fantastic. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, great to chat, Dino. Thank you so much for your time, and yeah, thank, thank you, you again for all those amazing memories. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Like I said, it was um, it was such a 
you know, a privilege to play for West Ham and I think the, the support I've had since I've finished as well just shows what, a, what an amazing club it is. Amazing. Thanks, Thanks for your time, you know, Dino. Star. Nice. No problem. Thanks very much. Cheers, man. Have a nice evening. Thanks. Okay, so that was Dean Ashton. It was lovely, wasn't he? Lovely, Dean Ashton. Yeah, he was. I felt a bit sorry. It's such a shame about his career, but I mean, uh, some good memories there. He was brilliant for us, wasn't he? Yeah. And, and that was an absolute tragedy that, um, mm. you know, he couldn't carry on. I think he was, was he 26? I think when, yeah. he, when he hung his boots up. And uh, yeah. yeah, dreadful shame. Would have been great for yeah. us. But um, good memories, so we could, yeah, can you forget? And what is good is he's starting to do a bit more media and yeah. well in that side of things, which yeah. is really good because for a time he, he was like, I don't, need, don't want anything to do with football. Yeah. But it's good to have him back on the screens. Absolutely. Okay, last interview. We're dropping into this special summer episode. It is the man we launched a Twitter campaign to get. Irvin Welsh I mean Graham how excited were we all about when we got this interview yeah I mean we, this was a real A-lister wasn't it yeah. um, I even put something on Facebook which I never do to say that he was coming on the show and uh, he was great wasn't he he, yeah. he, he, he was a fantastic guest and uh, obviously um, you know still a big West Ham fan as well so yeah. that's all good proper fan knows his stuff I know yeah. how excited were we do you remember yeah really excited alright without further ado here it is the our interview with Irvin Welsh here it comes so joining us now on the Knees of Mother Brown West Ham podcast we are so excited we've got an acclaimed Scottish playwright he's the author of Train Spotting and Filth but more importantly big West Ham fan welcome to the show to your debut Irvine Welsh it's a pleasure to have you on thank you pleasure to be here um, and it only took a, a small kind of Twitter campaign that we launched <laughs> to, to get you on. I hope it wasn't too intrusive. Yeah, no, no, it was okay. I mean, it was, it was great to... Um, it's one of the great things about Twitter, actually, is that you can, you know, you, it keeps you involved with... Um, especially when you live away, when you live abroad mm. like I do now in the States. It kind of... It keeps you into everything. It keeps you involved in everything. Mm. Um, it's been a great weekend for you, hasn't it? Because obviously James McAvoy won an Empire Award for filth and and, a we- and two West Ham wins. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, and it's, you know, James's award was a fantastic thing. It was like uh, it was a great. Um, I mean, the, week, the weekend itself wasn't so good, kind of sort of kind of sporting and culturally, but um, West Ham turned it round for me on Monday, and James turned it round for me on Sunday night. So it ended up in a, in a bit of a high. Um, I've been, I'm actually coming over in a couple of weeks' time, and I'm going to the, the Palace game on the 21st of April, I think it is. Amazing. Uh, which is kind of going to be quite sad for me, because it's probably going to be, you know, delivering in the state. It's probably going to be the last time I'll see the bowling before the, or I'll get to be there before the Olympic Stadium. Oh, no um, So, uh, so it's kind of uh, going to be quite an emotional thing to, uh, to be there in, in the ground that day for me. Uh, but nobody else will care. You know, <laughs> one, of, one, of these, one of these daft things too. So, uh, and one of the, the problems of being kind of exiled, I suppose. But um, yeah, so looking forward to it. It's going to be kind of bittersweet knowing that I'm not actually going to be go- able to go there ever again. Wow. This year. So um, that's, that's going to be quite a, a kind of weird thing. I mean, that, 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 I mean that, that makes it a bit more final in my mind, knowing that someone is going to that game and it'll be the last time. I mean, it's starting to get a bit more final, this move, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it is. It's gonna it's gonna be a massive wrench. I mean, I'm kind of. Um, I think my first game there was in was uh, kind of, I think it was like 1978 or 1979. Um, so you know, it's like, uh, and I've been going sort of. Um, you know, when I lived in London, I used to go. Fair, I used to go uh, regularly. I used to have a season ticket at one point for the, the Bobby Moore Upper. Um, 
And I, I'm from Edinburgh, so I'm a supporter. And you know, I kind of used to. It was, it was always, I would always go up uh, for Hibs one week and then go to West Ham the next week, and it always used to work out pretty well in terms of the fixtures. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I chopped up, I chopped up, you know, quite a few games when I lived in London, and um, I used to go up to the away games as well, which uh, was fun too, and. Um, it's, it's one of the things that you do, you kind of miss football. Uh, I mean, the, the MLS football isn't really the same over in America. Um, so you kind of miss it there, you miss the, the culture and the involvement. And, uh, I mean, the thing I do like about it here is now you get, you get, I can watch West Ham every, uh, every home game and every away game, basically. You've got the whole, uh, NBC, you've got the whole, uh, Premiership package. Mm. You'll get better Premiership football in America than, uh, you're doing now. I was, I was going to ask you about that. So um, you're in Los Angeles now. Is there much of a kind of West Ham supporters club out there? there but I, I'm, I'm normally I'm living in Miami just oh, now, right, right. but I'm normally based in Chicago. Oh, right. And uh, there is quite an active club in Chicago. There's, uh, there's a pub there, and um, there's a few guys kind of go up there pretty regularly and uh, have a few beers and watch the game. Do you ever see him, Bishop? Isn't he in Miami? Mm. Um, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen him, but uh, I don't even know he was in Miami. Huh? Yeah, I've got. A he did say he's in Miami, didn't he? We had him on the yeah. other week. In fact, he's over for the Palace game as well. <laughs> it's like Miami Hammers coming over. You might be on the same flight. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, so you mentioned there, like your first game was in the late seventies. But how how did you come to support West Ham? It's kind of strange, really, because. Um, you know, you know, when you're a kid, you have all these kind of, you know, like a kid of my generation, you have all these kind of, um, kind of shoot and go and Charles Buchanan football sort of, um, kind of monthly pictures on your wall and all that. And, um, I had, I was, I had this picture of this guy called Johnny Aries who played for West Ham. And he wasn't a big kind of, he was a player from the 70s. He wasn't a big kind of name and all that. But I sort of liked the, I liked the strip. And, um, I mean, I should never have really been a, a West Ham fan because when I was growing up, it was, you know, I was, I was a kid when England won the World Cup. And obviously, being Scottish, everybody was really antagonistic to <laughs> England winning the World Cup and Bobby Moore and sort of, and, and you know, the, the West Ham's kind of overwhelming role and England winning the World Cup. Um, but I think the, the real, you know, I had this, always put this kind of strange picture of Tony Harris on the wall, but I think the real thing that coalesced was, um, I had a, a section of my family moved down to London and uh, in the 70s and uh, the other 70s and they were all heart supporters and because we lived in West London they all supported Chelsea uh, so no. to be being a supporter and uh, being from East Edinburgh I thought I'm going to support the East London team so I supported West Ham basically to annoy them um, <laughs> and, uh, and then when I got down to when I, when I moved down to London permanently myself in the, the late 70s um, I had this girlfriend from Essex and she was uh, her, her brother was uh, a big West Ham fan and um he started taking me to games with his mates, and I just kind of, uh, I just fell in with them really. You know, I mean, I, w- I would go to, I would go to all kind of um, Premiership games because I had pals that supported um, all the, you know, all the, the main London clubs, and uh, so I would go to all games in all divisions really. Uh, but I kind of just because I had sort of um, kind of good buddies that supported my farm, I kind of fell into that 
sort of thing. And there was also the thing about kind of Hibs and West Ham both being kind of sort of Dockland uh, mm. clubs. There was the same kind of there was the same kind of humour and banter on the terrace thing. That, you know, we just felt a very kind of familiar place and a kind of familiar vibe to it. You know, so. Um, yeah, so it just felt a bit of a home from home to me. It, it, it still feels very. That's that's why I'm going to be so sad when I go back uh, to Palestine because it feels like kind of um, you're saying goodbye to one of to, to your your kind of um, your London home in a way, even though I've never actually lived in that borough. Mm. So, so where do you where do you stand on the move to the Olympic Stadium? Then is, is there part of you that really doesn't want it to happen? I mean, it's like um, it would be a no-brainer for me if the stadium was was, was more of a football stadium. Mm. And you could get that, and you could get that atmosphere because it's not a. It's still in the west. It's, you know, it's still in but some west time. It's probably in the catchment area at Stratford, and it's you know. I think if you know if West Ham after kind of sort of. Uh, to get back, you know, to get up there with um, Arsenal and Chelsea, you know, which they should, you know, where they should be. Um, I think it's an opportunity that, um, you know, the club had to really take. But, you know, if, if it was a beautiful custom-built football stadium in that in that location, I would say yes. It just has to be done for, you know, despite of even all the kind of history and heritage behind. But I think that uh, I've got massive reservations about the, the stadium and the design of it, and whether it'll be able to carry that kind of passion and that kind of you know, that um, you want to see. You know, you want to see it a kind of. Um, and I know that a lot of Premiership fans have become sanitised. West Ham obviously doesn't like a lot of Premiership clubs. There isn't that there, there used to be uh, Nell Cedar Stadium, but I think that. Um, I don't know, I mean, just such a big kind of sort of cavernous space uh, and uh, so far from the pitch. Um, you know, I, I think they've tried to rectify that in some of the designs. It could be a tough shift in the first couple of years before people can start to feel kind of homely about the place. Mm, absolutely. So, I mean, <clears throat> recently we've just kind of discussed this, but we won against Hull, um, Hull last week, and the, and the crowd um, booed the winning team at the end of the game. Um, we've just discussed this, but where where do you stand on booing a winning team and Big Sam? I think it's brilliant. I think it's like um, <laughs> you, you've got to you know, but I think it's you know, I think it's like you've got to remember that. Uh, Part of the reason that people support West Ham because it is West Ham, and it's not the you know it's not a kind of uh, Sam Allardyce club. Mm. You know, it's like it's not that kind of um, you know you, you you aspire to play football in a, in a certain kind of way. You know, and um, I think that you know one of the things that uh, West Ham have got to get back to. Now, I, I'm not going to criticise an Allardyce because his, his basic brief has been to keep the club in the Premiership and, you know, to facilitate this move. But um, he'll probably be here for another couple of years as well. So I can't see them, um, I can't see that, yeah, I think they will consolidate, you know, into, into the, the Premiership in the new stadium. But hopefully in the long term, it won't be, you know, or even the mid-term, it won't be part of the, the plans and you'll mm. get a kind of, um, you'll get, a, you know, you'll, basically you'll get the spirit of Johnny Lyle back mm. again you know you'll get somebody that, uh, that wants to play that kind of football like Johnny, Johnny Lyle football kind of Harry Redknapp football kind of Long Greenwood football kind of West Ham football basically mm. 
Um, we were talking, so obviously you're, you're the author of Transporting and Filth, and I just wondered whether you've, any themes of your work you've kind of learned from your experiences at West Ham. I'm thinking of maybe the futility of existence, or probably the toilet in train spotting. Toilet. <laughs> that, was, that toilet was East Stand Lower, wasn't it? The chicken run. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, you know, I've, I've got, you know, a lot of my friends that, um, you know, say that are West Ham fans that still go to games with occasionally, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, the, some of them are quite a kind of sort of rowdy old school bunch and all that, you know, mm-hmm. so there's, um, I've had quite a few adventures with them, you know, and they, they've got, they're good at swapping stories and telling tales as well, so you get a lot of, um, you get a lot of stuff, uh, you know, from them as you do with, uh, like kind of guys at Hibs back in Scotland and all that. So, yeah, I think, you know, football in general is, a, is kind of a big part of working class culture and, uh, you know, football music gigs and all that are, are massive um, kind of sources of inspiration for me in general. Mm. Do you think, I mean, there's been quite a few kind of, I'm thinking of football, fact, there's been a quite kind of, there's been a trend for football films in the last few years. Do you think there's a great football film to be written? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very, very, you know, it's very hard to do any kind of really, a really good sports film now, you know, hopefully mm. with um, the kind, you know, the, the sort of, di- you know, the, the digital technology, it'll be easier. And I think that uh, in terms of football itself, I mean, it's, it's easier, easier to do things about living culture because you're, you know, you're looking at a smaller kind of group of people mm. and characters and all that. Um, to do something about the actual football and player, um, it's, you know, I mean, I think probably the Damned United has been about the best attempt I've seen. But mm. even when you look at, you know, when you look at the the kind of seventies grounds, kind of round of the, it's you know, it's it, it, it's made massive advances in representing that. But it's, you still have to kind of, um, it's still very difficult to represent the kind of scale of uh, a stadium and the, and the crowd and, uh, to, and and to do it with that kind of authenticity. You know. mm. So I think that um, there probably is kind of, uh, you know, I think there probably is kind of great football movies to be made and, and great sports movies to be made in general, I think. Mm. Um, last question. Uh, as a West Ham fan, what would be the ultimate for you? What, I mean, what is the ultimate goal for you as a sport of West Ham? Well, I didn't get to, you know, I didn't get to the cup final against Arsenal when uh, Trevor Brooking um, scored, scored the goal back in 1980. Uh, well, and I, I haven't, I, I haven't ever been to to see West Ham in Europe at any kind of level. You know, whether it's been sort of um, either uh, you know, Cup Winners Cup or into Total or anything like that. You know, uh, Europa Cup, Europa League. So I'd love to see West Ham back in Europe, um, and uh, that that would be that would be great. And obviously, you kind of. Um, Long term, I'd like to see West Ham as one of the top clubs in Britain. Uh, I think that it's possible for it to happen if the, if the Olympic Stadium thing works out and uh, start filling that, start getting that kind of kind of sort of revenue stream. And uh, I think that you know, I mean, London uh, in general is a place you know where top European players want to be. Basically, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go to Manchester and Liverpool and you know other places and all that, you know, but. Basically, they want to be near Europe, the Eurostar, so they can hop back and forward, you know, to, to the continent, or can do short jaunts to the continent and enjoy the benefits of kind of sort of um, London cultural life. So, I think that um, if West Ham can establish themselves, you know, in, in, in that stadium, 
they have a, a really good chance of becoming one of the top four sort of uh, clubs in England again. I think that uh, I think that's my kind of long term mm. sort of ambition for them. My short term uh, ambition is to just to get back into Europe and mm. to, to go to some games in Europe. Mm. Oh yeah, good choice. Um, lastly, you've you've got a new book out soon on the sex lives of Siamese twins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean, <laughs> yeah. How do you even go about researching that? <laughs> I don't know a little bit of searching the sex life of Siamese twins. Well, I mean, you got to, um, first you have to identify the Siamese twins and you have to ask them out on a date and then find out what they're into, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's like, uh, I mean, the, the, the Siamese twins are an actual metaphor. It's about two women who become obsessed with each other, one who's a personal trainer, one who's an artist, and uh, they get involved in the Siamese twins. Um, there's a, there's a story in the news about the Siamese, about these Siamese twins that want to go on this date and all that. Mm, yeah. and it, that that's the kind of catalyst for their kind of relationship. It's, it kind of sets them up uh, against each other, basically, their different views on how, how this relationship with the Siamese twins should proceed. So, yeah, so it's basically um, a kind of, uh, you know, a metaphor, a literary device or whatever. Uh, we can we kind of fancy writers call it. So it's, <laughs> um, it's basically about uh, an artist and a personal trainer in Miami who have a kind of strange relationship with each other. Right, and that's out, that's out in May over here, right? It's out in May, yeah, across the May. Okay. Awesome. Get involved. Yeah, can't wait for that. Well, thank you so much, Ivan, for your time, and uh, I wish you uh, a great trip uh, for Palace at home, and I uh, hope it's not too emotional for you. Can't wait, can't wait. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much, your star. Cheers, thank you. All the best, lads. Cheers, thanks a lot. Bye. That was Irvin Welsh. That completes the uh, first of the three summer specials we'll be doing, one a month. Um, Irvin Welsh there, James? Yes. <laughs> I love it as a season ticket holder. Do you remember what yeah. we were laughing about was they all, yeah. all the people we spoke to, like Ian Bishop and yeah. Irvin Welsh, people like that, all came over for that Crystal Palace match. Right. Which was the worst. Oh, no. like, he was like, everyone was like, that's probably the last match I'm going to see. Yeah, that's what he said. He said, uh, up to part before we had a bowling before we go to the Olympic Stadium. And he was like, after we didn't speak to him afterwards, but he was like, God, that was shit. <laughs> you tweeted <laughs> They all like, came over, didn't they? They all came yeah. over for that match. What yeah. match to fly from America for? I know. <laughs> Palace at home. All right, well, that concludes the first of the three, the trilogy of special summer episodes where we recap the best of uh, interviews from the second series of the Knees Up the Brown podcast. You can follow uh, all reactions to the latest news that Harry Redknapp is to become the next manager of West Ham. <laughs> we don't know, actually. That is horrifically could be true or unhorrifically. Um, but you can stay in touch with all of us on the Twitters and on various <laughs> methods. Here's how you can do that. You can follow James on Longers One on Twitter. You can follow Graham, the editor-in-chief of Knees Up Mother Brown on KUMB D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also join the KUMB Facebook group and go on the Knees Up Mother Brown forum. And you can follow myself, Chris, on uh, CJ Skull. That's Skull with a C. And don't forget, you can also email the podcast uh, over the summer at podcast at KUMB.com. We'll be back for proper episodes in August, but there's another summer special coming up next month so gentlemen see you then in the meantime come on you eyes come on you eyes